0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good afternoon and happy Monday. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Welcome to another day and another week of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. Honored to be filling in for Tony, who is taking some much-needed time off. We wish him great refreshment in the Lord while he's taking some time down And also, it's a great honor to have you joining us here on this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Here's what's coming up. Last night, attorneys for Hunter Biden complained to a federal judge that the Justice Department was trying to renege on a major part of his previous plea deal. So what does the White House think about this?
2: Anything that has been stated or said by Hunter's representative, I would have to refer you to his representative.
1: Well, of course, that was White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre earlier today, deflecting as usual. Congressman Bob Good will be joining us here to talk about that, as well as President Biden's plea for more spending money for his agenda's wish list. And as the death toll from the devastating wildfires in Maui continues to rise, certainly our thoughts and prayers remain with the people of the island.
3: Families will come together, but there's a lot of loss here. And I think we're going to see significantly higher numbers uh, in the coming days as our professionals from FEMA and and Maui Fire at least do their job.
1: Well, that was Hawaii Governor Josh Green on the ground surveying in person the devastation. President Biden strangely had no comment when he was asked by reporters about the tragedy in Hawaii. Strange indeed. But even after losing their homes and their belongings, there are Christians on the island whose first response was to serve others. One of those is Kim Ball, a Maui resident who will be joining me a little later in the program for an update. And we have a college in Florida that has abolished its gender study programs. That's the one you're familiar with. That's the one that teaches that men can become pregnant and somehow women can become men. The question is, is could this potentially become a model for universities maybe in some red states? I'll be talking about that with FRC's Meg Kilgannon a little bit later on. And we've seen the Biden administration demonstrate how little regard it has for the rule of law when it's inconvenient. And keeping that pattern, we're now spending 6 billion with a B 6 billion dollars with private contractors to chase asset forfeiture from American citizens. And that includes people who are not charged with any crime. Dan Albin from the Institute for Justice says that that equals 6 billion reasons for asset forfeiture reform that is desperately needed. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the program. So, as always, we've got a lot to unpack, and we're glad to have you on board with us. Let me remind you, as always, that our website is TonyPerkins.com. Just in case you miss any portion of this evening's program, or if you'd like to check out any others in the archive, TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, a lot of great resources there for you as well. All right, let's jump into this evening's program. Last night, President Biden sent Congress his latest request for even more spending money. The White House is seeking an additional $40 billion from Congress when they return in September. So what's the money for? Well, it includes, among other things, another $24 $24 billion for Ukraine against just $4 billion for the crisis on our southern border and the fentanyl epidemic. And so you've got a lot of conservatives in Congress who are continue uh, having great skepticism regarding the lack of accounting of money that's going to Ukraine. Well, what can we expect from September's appropriations battle? And trust me, it is going to be a battle. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the Budget Committee and the House Education and Labor Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District of this great state of Virginia. Congressman Good, always great to see you. Welcome back, my friend.
4: Good afternoon, Congressman Heiss. Great to be with you, my friend.
1: Well, thank you so much. All right, let's jump into this. The president wants another $40 billion. Just a... Uh, jump change, $40 billion. Break down what it's going to be for and your thoughts about it.
4: Well, he wants to send another $24 billion, as you noted, to Ukraine. It's interesting, the last, uh, the one spending bill that we've gotten out of the House, the uh, NDAA, the defense bill, I should say, and uh, we tried to have an amendment to that, that we would have at least a, require the president to have a strategy with respect to Ukraine money, that it would have to have a plan, and you have to disclose that plan and strategy. And sadly, we couldn't get that to pass out of the House. You know, let's just give the president more money, but he doesn't have to have a strategy or a plan on how he's going to use that or how Ukraine's going to use that for that matter. We're just going to give them more money and with no accountability. And now, as you, as you noted, he wants to $24 billion more on top of the well over $100 billion that's already been sent. We're borrowing, Jody, as you know, all of that money from China setting aside our, your views on policies that relate to Ukraine, setting aside if you think that's in our national security interest, if you think that's America's battle, if you think that we've got a strategy, if you think we have an end game, if you think it's essential for us to be involved, let's just set that aside for a moment. We don't have the money. We're borrowing the money for every dollar that we're sending to Ukraine. We're borrowing it from our kids and our grandkids. We're borrowing it from China. But as you noted, only $4 billion It's for our own border. And that's not even to secure the border. That is only to facilitate more illegals to invade our country uh, as fast as they can, as quickly as they can. And, of course, they're going to try to stick in their disaster relief uh, for what's happening in Hawaii. And while our hearts go out to those in Hawaii, our prayers are with, you know, the hundred that we know of, lives that have been lost, more to come, it seems almost for sure. But we ought to take that money and repurpose it so from someplace else in the our bloated budget, our reckless spending budget, and that's how we ought to take care of that disaster need with taking away some of the funding in our government that we shouldn't be doing.
1: Well, I know you were one of uh, a number who really stood in the way with the, the debt ceiling battle. How- you know, is this part of that? I mean, the, the the disturbing part of that whole debt ceiling was that it had no ceiling. I mean, it's just, uh, just infinity as much as they want to spend. Uh, is this part of that? How, how does this square up with the existing so-called debt ceiling?
4: Well, as you, unfortunately, I have to go back to January again, back to the Speaker battle. What the Speaker battle was about is 20 Republicans saying we're not going to do what we've always done. We're not gonna betray the American People's Trust who gave us the majority. We actually are determined to do what we ran on, and that's to stop the reckless spending, to bring some measure of fiscal responsibility. And we passed a good bill out of the House, the Limit Save Grow bill uh, that did cut spending, that did have some significant reforms in place. I don't have the time that we have this in this visit right now to go through all the details on it, but it was a good bill with significant reforms, significant cuts that took a step towards fiscal responsibility. All of that was discarded in the debt ceiling deal. And to your point, Jody, the debt ceiling deal that was arranged between Schumer, Biden and McCarthy is an unlimited debt ceiling through January 25. As much as Congress can come together and spend, and we're spending deficit spending about $150 billion a month right now, and that's without any extra so-called emergency special spending. That's just the regular spending. The interest increase is causing spending to go up more. We've got to pay more to service our debt now because of Biden's policies of raising interest rates to exacerbate, not to combat, but to exacerbate the inflation that he's causing. Our fiscal situation is one of the many existential crises that's been created by this administration. And Republicans need to stand strong and united, do something we haven't done, and fighting that in the appropriations process next month when we get back to D.C.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I think most people are uh, understanding of the unprovoked invasion in Ukraine and, and don't mind helping to some extent. But what we're talking about here is over $100 billion with no accountability to the money. Is, is the big problem the lack of accountability or is somehow this money being used to advance more woke agenda from this administration
4: like abortion or whatever else? Well, I think there's a number of issues. Number one, to start where you ended there, You've got an administration that thinks climate's the greatest threat to the country, at least that's what they've told the military. They think the military is a social experiment to see how many transgender individuals they can have, how many abortions they can fund. Again, how much they can climatize the military by moving to electric vehicles and things like that. So we've got an administration that doesn't understand the purpose of the military and has, you know, tomorrow will be the two year anniversary of the disastrous tragic exit from Afghanistan where we left our partners behind. where We had 13 service members lose their lives and we embarrassed the world, the United States on the world stage. So you don't have that confidence in what the, this administration, this Department of Defense, this military knows what they're doing. We're depleting our own resources and affecting our own readiness, what we're sending over to Ukraine. We're told we can't win a war with China right now. And we're sending again all these resources and weaponry and, and, and systems over to Ukraine to help them. Then beyond that, what what is how is this in America's national security? And so you can be against Russia and against Putin, against what they've done. You can condemn it and stand against it, but not think that it's in our direct national security interest to wage this battle. They're not part of NATO. Europe is not invested in the fight. Why is the United States being the ones who are primarily funding it? And then what's the end game? What's the exit strategy? What does victory look like? How do we resolve this long term? Ukraine, as you know, is a corrupt country. It's not a democracy. Uh, again, it's not a member of NATO. So th- this, uh, I would suggest, is. Is just not the United States fight. Uh, and we've done more than anyone else has done already. And we've borrowed the money to do just that.
1: Well said. Well, listen, if I can, we've just got a couple of minutes left. And if I can switch topics for you, the investigation in the Biden family obviously continues. Uh, but uh, frankly, with continued exposure to some of President Biden's previous lies, uh, Democrats like uh, Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, all they want to do is talk about Donald Trump. Uh, I'd like to play this clip and get your reaction. Uh, Hit clip three, please.
2: We saw uh, uh, Joe Biden at one point say uh, that that Hunter Biden had no dealings,
3: got no money from China. We now see from Hunter's own uh, words that that's not true. Uh, Does any of this raise concerns for you?
1: You
2: know, the money from Ukraine, the money from China, the money from Russia. Does any of this... Well, you know, look, whether or not it's criminal, whether or not it warrants special counsel status, are you concerned by the, about this stuff? I, here's what I'm concerned about. Um, during the Trump administration, we saw the development of a completely new public philosophy.
1: Wow. Trump, Trump, Trump.
4: Trump uh, your reaction. Goodness, it better, Jody. You know, the narrative is changing. Of course, first, the president didn't know anything about his son's business deal, and he was the only son excuse me, father in the country that didn't talk to his son about his job or about his work, about what he did. We know that's been demonstrably proven false. He's met with Hunter's business partners. He's traveled with Hunter's business partners. They've had audiences with him by phone and in person many times. We know the Biden family has gotten tens of millions of dollars. And so now the narrative has changed, not from that he didn't know or he never spoke about it to now. Well, he wasn't officially in business with his son. And what was that business? What did the family do in exchange for those tens of millions of dollars? Why would someone give a, a foreign entity, give Hunter Biden, a, a known crackhead, you know, tens of millions of dollars with no experience in the industry for which uh, that, that company, or that foreign corporation is, is, is doing business in? We know that the influence peddling, the corruption, the Biden a crime family is on full display. Even bribery, as has been alleged by credible witnesses. Jamie Comer is doing a great job trying to uncover this. I'm glad to see you're starting, just starting, just starting to get some questions from the, from the major media outlets who are have been loath to cover this. They're trying to make it about Hunter, but of course, that's not what it's about. It's about Joe Biden.
1: Congressman Bob Good. I always say it's great to have Bob Good on the program with us. Thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you.
4: Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you once again.
1: Likewise. God bless. All right, friends, after the break, I'll be speaking to a Christian in Maui who, despite losing his own home last week, has already started serving his neighbors. Amazing story. You don't want to miss it. We'll bring it your way right after the break.
0: their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous.
5: Good afternoon. Welcome back to
1: Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and an honor to have you joining us. Well, I'm sure, like me and like my family, you also are mourning for those in Maui suffering after wildfires ravaged the island. And the search for the missing continues. FEMA is on the ground working with Hawaii National Guard and others But while those efforts are underway, there are many other everyday residents on the island who, despite losing so much themselves, have already started working to restore their community as well. Our next guest is one such person. Kim Ball is the president of High Tech Maui and of the Maui Sports Foundation and doing an incredible job to pick up the bootstraps and to... Care for other people. Kim, welcome to Washington Watch. So sorry it's under these circumstances, but we're honored to have you.
6: Thanks, Jody. I don't know what she was
3: going
1: me. Well, let's uh, let me first, and and I, I don't see have any way to adequately express the deep, heartfelt, emotional condolences of myself and our prayers for you and your island. Share with us, Kim, just a little bit of your story from last week.
6: Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously started on Tuesday. And, uh, uh, yeah, fortunately, I, you know, uh, I was taking my wife to the airport. Fortunately, uh, she flew to go see our daughter and granddaughters in Oregon. And, um, and I had no idea because the fire started early that morning, my, my, uh, youngest son's a teacher at a uh, liner intermediate school. And he said they lost power, uh, and, uh, no school, that was the first day of school, no school. And, um, there was a fire, um, and they called me a little while later and says the fire's out. And so when we left, even though the winds were whipping 60 mile an hour plus, uh, uh you know, roofs in our neighborhood were blowing off, uh. I took my wife to the airport, and then uh, I got a call from my son later that the smoke was really bad, and uh, finally he uh, ended up leaving, and uh, just in the nick of time, and then he uh, was able to go out and save our dogs, and then of course we didn't know what would happen because all the cell, you know, uh, towers were down. So uh, next, I stayed at my brother's house that night, and the next morning I um, uh, got in line to go back to to Maui, uh, to, I mean to Lahaina, and. Uh, my other son had taken the back way in and he hiked five miles to where our houses were. And, uh, he goes, dad, there's, there's nothing, you know? So then wow. I think I was in shock and just, uh, turned around and, uh, next couple of days I was kind of shocked. But what I got to say is that, uh, my coworkers at high tech surf sports, um, they took the bull by the horns and they went on social media right away. I mean, uh, and, uh, they started collecting, uh, food, water, blankets. And, uh, we had, uh, I think that first day, 20 truckloads of, uh, of, well, that's, of, what, uh, that's what, that's what I wanted that to, to, to
1: that's what I wanted to go to next. In spite of all your losses, personally, you, you are in process already of working to serve others. So continue. What are you doing?
6: Yeah. I mean, uh, the, I think there's a lot of supplies that come to West Maui. I mean, we're still taking them here at the store, but it's not as dire as before. But there's a lot of other needs. And so a lot of our vendors, um, you know, we're in the surf business and we work with a lot of surf vendors. They've sent us clothing, backpacks, that sort of thing. So we're, um, we're delivering those. And uh, as 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 we get product in, we're getting product out to people that, that need it. I mean, you know, as you know, um, People have lost everything, so, um, so yeah, we're we're trying to do things that way. So, um, just a small part. What are some I mean, of the no obstacles? That,
1: what are some of the obstacles that you're facing? I mean, I I understand there's some degree of power coming back. There's some degree of cell coverage coming back, but I mean, with such devastating loss, I mean, people have got to be emotionally numb. Uh, at, at what they are experiencing, what are some of the bigger challenges that you and others are facing?
6: yeah well I think power's back to most of the west side I, I think Lonnie Poco still doesn't have power um but i I think just because I've worked with kids a lot, I think the the kids the uh school children i mean we we lost the elementary school where my where my boys went to school um we lost the uh, the Catholic uh, grade school, one one through eighth grade, and uh, and people are displaced. You know, there's 10, 12, 15 people living in a residence, you know, um, and so what are those kids going to do? So they're going to go to different schools on Maui, and uh, so we're going to have a whole, I think, uh, dichotomy there where, wow. you know, increased classroom size with teachers. What are the teachers going to do? My son was a teacher, lost his home. Uh, yeah, so it's just... Uh, just, it's just a domino effect. One thing affects another. So it's, um, yeah, I think that's devastating the saddest thing right now. Yeah. So you
1: know, when tragedies like this happen, of course, it's, it, it is numbing. But at the same time, you see people come together. People such as yourself, the Christian community, rising up, beginning to serve others, and acts of kindness and encouragement and heroism in that regard spur more of it what kind of encouragements have you received and what are you seeing
6: uh, just the whole community I mean uh with the road being closed because they uh before the fires were out I mean uh, friends I knew with boats and jet skis you know the surf community they rallied and would bring us supplies when you couldn't get supplies in by boat and, and jet ski and just the whole island I mean the the outpouring has been unreal um uh, the giving and uh but that's that's hawaiian style that's that's maui so uh yeah there's story after story of people going out of their way to open their homes i mean i've had lots of offers to you know uh places to stay um so yeah i can't say enough about that
1: kim in about 30 seconds or so that we have left, how can we be helping and praying for you and others on the island
6: well i just wanted to say that uh Maui is not closed, you know. Uh, like it or not, tourism is our lifeline, and uh, I just want to encourage people that, uh, you know, Wailea, Kihei, um, North Shore, East Maui, Central Maui, country are still open, and uh, you know, that's that's what we're, our economy is based on now, and uh, and we need those people to, to keep coming. Lahaina's well, done, but for now, it, uh we we need uh, we need those visitors.
1: Kim Ball, thank you so much for taking time. I know you've got a lot on your plate. Thank you for taking your time to come on Washington Watch, and thanks for the incredible work of service you are doing to others in need. God bless you. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, friends, you're welcome. Last week, the first public university in the country. Finally, pushed back against gender ideology and the LGBTQ agenda. Meg Kilgannon will join me to discuss it. Stay tuned.
5: Get this free guide at frc.org slash to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
7: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org/worldview. Again, go to frc.org/worldview.
1: Well, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. Glad to have you joining us this evening. Well, last Thursday, the New College of Florida voted to scrap its gender studies program, making it the first public university in America. To do so. They're pushing back against the left's agenda regarding gender ideology and queer theory and so forth. By, by the way, back in March, the same university also abolished its DEI programs. And of course, when they did that, they, they experienced a lot of heated protests from the left. And as you can well guess, the left's reaction to this our uh, most recent move has also been quite fierce. Well, joining me, me now to discuss this and more is Meg Kilgannon, FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies, and she served in the U.S. Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, as always, great to see you. Thanks for joining us.
8: Thanks for having me, Jody.
1: Well, listen, this uh, this is exciting news. This is the first public university in America to make such a news. Just begin to put put all this in context for us. How big of a deal is this?
8: Um, I I hope it's a very big deal. And it was really fun to do the research for this for this um, interview, because I wasn't I knew that the new uh, college in Florida had been given six new people on their board of trustees who were much more conservative than the previous Members and so, you know, as a conservative, I'm used to being disappointed by people that we put in positions of power to get things done because so rarely does it actually happen. But this is a wonderful example of of people who are really committed to to using the authority they've been given to achieve the, a mission on behalf of the taxpayers who are supporting the university. So, New College of Florida is a very small university in the Florida. Public system it's only 600 and about 30 students it I would describe it as very much of a boutique experience of a college. You don't get grades there you're given after each class a formal written evaluation of your performance in that class. Um, They have a contract system where if you agree that you're going to pass three classes out of five, and if you do that that's great, but if you only pass two classes out of five, then you're going to have a problem. I mean, it's a, it's an experimental college, right? And so the idea now is, right. And so the idea now is that instead of experimenting with, with liberal and progressive ideas, they're going to experiment with classical education. And I think that's a great idea because you can get yeah, a lot of know, liberal college anywhere else.
1: That's right. And they may be a small college, but they're carrying a big stick right now. And just the fact that they are Uh, pushing back against the gender studies, and I want to make, I want to be sure that I'm correct. I mean, these uh, gender studies, these are, these are the type of studies that teach that men can get pregnant and that women can somehow become men, isn't that right? That's what we're talking about. That's right. Uh, This is far, this is far from collegiate type education as we've known it in the past.
8: Well, sure. I mean, and what the gender studies professors don't like to tell you is that they changed their direction from, they. The, all, all of the gender studies programs used to be women's studies programs. But as we say in the gender identity issue, women are erased. <laughs> and this is the greatest example of it, is that this, I'm sure this department used to be a women's studies department. And even though they may have a women's studies section within the department, it is a gender studies a department now, and it is it is there to teach students about Marxist queer theory. Okay, to destabilize society by the, with the destruction of the nuclear family because of the division between the sexes. I mean, that's that's what that's what your studies is for. So I feel like the, the the taxpayers of the state of Florida and actually any state in the union are under no obligation to pay for that sort of indoctrination of students. Um, even adult students who, you know, are there as college students. So I, I for one, am really glad to see this, um, this department canceled um, as the parent of college students. Um, this is exactly the kind of thing I don't think is enhancing their education. And there's so many other things that, to fill your mind with besides this kind of subversive thinking.
1: Let me throw something else past you, and we've just got a couple of minutes left here. But uh, going back to a blue state now, from the red Florida to blue California, uh, Democrats there are are advancing a bill that could uh, really target parents who are just wanting to speak out at school board meetings. Can you fill us in what's going on there?
8: Yeah, I- that that one really is uh, amazing they're going to institute a system of finding parents who cause emotional disturbance to any school employee and I, I, you know jody do you think they will ever have the school system pay parents a fine of 500 or a thousand dollars for the distress that the school system causes the parents that's never that's never, never or the children <laughs> that's never the way these things go right it's it's always that we have to get on board with their program which is why you know they 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 want to have nobody say anything of ob- objecting to to any pointing out any nonsense in california you know they're They don't wanna hear it. And in fact, they may even fine you if you do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just such a stark difference between what's happening in a state like Florida, where they're just trying to educate versus a a state like California, where they wanna indoctrinate, as you referenced, and at the same time, intimidate and potentially fine parents for questioning. It's just unbelievable what's taking place.
8: It is. It is.
1: Go ahead. Finish we'll see your further
8: sentence. sorting of people from red to blue states because of these kinds. Yes, of we things. will.
1: And it's already underway. Absolutely, Matt Kilgannon. Thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Always great to have you on. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends. Dan Albin, senior attorney at the Institute for Justice and the co-director of its National Initiative to End Forfeiture, will be joining me next. This is something you don't want to miss, $6 billion being spent to take your money. We'll be back right after this.
7: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things, You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation to stand for truth And to seek the Lord first, just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
0: FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman
1: Randy Weber. Well, for the FRC staff, kudos, hats off, all those kinds. I I can't say enough good things. Y'all are helping hold up us during the battle. I know it's got to be daunting. I know sometimes it gets wearying. Sometimes you think, "Mm, I'm not sure. Stay the course. God bless you. We're praying for y'all. We love what y'all are doing. Please, please know. You are loved and appreciated. If it weren't for y'all in FRC, we couldn't do what we do. So thank you for that.
2: It begins here and here and here every day. Before you stand, you need solid ground. Standing in a culture that wants you to surrender the truth won't work unless you have a firm foundation. At Family Research Council, we have that firm foundation, and you can find us standing. We stand for the value of all human life. We stand for the right of families to flourish. And every day we stand for your freedom to believe and to live out those beliefs both at home and abroad. We work with government officials, educating them on the issues from a biblical worldview. And when necessary, we hold them accountable. We equip Christians across America to be informed and to take action in their communities. With our daily radio program, television appearances, and vast online presence, we reach people where they are. We envision an America where all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. That won't be realized if we're not standing. Stand for faith. Stand for family. Stand for freedom. Stand with us at FRC.
9: Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a Holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from the lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We wanna help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release and the forest and the trees.
1: All right, friends, welcome back to Washington Watch. Sorry we had a little power blip there, but glad to be back with you, and uh, we appreciate your patience. All right, we've got another guest I want to bring on here in just a second. We have all seen over the years press conferences and this, that, and the other of massive drug busts where there's a table full of cash that the law enforcement has been able to confiscate from criminals through civil asset forfeitures. And we expect those kinds of things when criminal behavior is involved, but a disturbing trend has been taking place for years where civil asset forfeiture has been applied to American citizens, where the government has come after them, seized their assets that they have for their business or whatever, in spite of the fact that they have done zero criminal activity. And because this is a civil asset forfeiture, Uh, the government is not required to give the money back. What do they think we are? A bunch of ATM machines running around that they can just come and take cash out of our pockets whenever they want to? Well, that's what you would think. Now, it it is technically, uh, because of a law a few years back, illegal for our government agencies to participate in that, but now they are doing so by giving 6 billion dollars to private companies to continue the work of civil asset forfeiture against American citizens. So let's just circumvent the law. This is what's going on. Well joining me now to discuss this is Dan Albin. He's a senior attorney at the Institute for Justice and the co-director of its national initiative to end forfeiture. Dan Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch.
3: Thank you for having
1: me. Well, it's our pleasure. All right. I try to give a little overview. What have I missed? Fill in the gaps for me, please.
3: Sure. So um, civil forfeiture is actually not something that government agencies are prohibited from participating in. They very actively do it. But because it is such a big business, particularly for federal agencies, Uh, They hire independent contractors, private contractors, and they just recently issued over $6 billion in contracts to private contractors over the next five years. And that really highlights the degree to which federal agencies are targeting Americans for civil forfeiture. If they're going to spend $6 billion on investigations, on processing paperwork, on all the other administrative things that need to be done for civil forfeiture, I think that shows how much they're bringing in each year by seizing property from people, and then they can do this without charging them with a crime uh, and permanently keep your property. So that's the real danger. It's a threat to property rights, it's a threat to civil liberties, and um, it's something that does not require a criminal charge, let alone a criminal conviction.
1: Yeah, that's what's so disturbing about this. And I actually was on the Oversight Committee when we dealt with this specific thing with the IRS, specific to the IRS, So I suppose the law that I referenced dealt specifically with them. But other agencies, as you refer to, are still allowed to participate in this type of stuff. And it is. I mean, there's $45 billion that has been seized from American citizens, just in the between uh twenty nineteen and 2020 alone uh this is uh, just phenomenal and it's wrong in 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 every way and as you mentioned uh they don't have to give the money back it's almost like Dan is it not it's almost like a a government sanctioned mafia that's being developed here
3: well, the problem is that it's actually legal it's legalized theft. And so that figure that you mentioned, the $45 billion, that's from 2000 to 2019 at the federal level, but that only includes federal agencies. And so it doesn't include state and local law enforcement. And the total for all of those together from 2000 to 2019 is nearly $70 billion. So this this is a huge profit maker for these agencies. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that in most states and at the federal level, these agencies actually get to keep the money that they seize it goes into funds that are controlled by law enforcement and that's counter to what the constitution says the constitution creates a separation of powers There's supposed to be the power of the purse which is controlled by congress and the power of the sword the executive uh, which is the executive agencies and you're not supposed to have the agencies with the power of the sword also controlling the purse But that's what we have with civil forfeiture. Agencies that seize the property get to spend that very money.
1: Fantastic word picture there in laying that out for us. Now, you have uh, in the Institute for Justice, you you have been personally directly involved with several cases. Uh, I know even some Christians that have had. Uh, money uh, confiscated even for mission trips and that type of Give us some of the horror stories. What are some of the the cases that you personally have been involved with and what the type of things that you're seeing, just so we can kind of highlight this uh, for our viewers and listeners?
4: Sure.
3: Uh, So I spend my time litigating forfeiture cases on behalf of property owners. We represent them pro bono for free at the Institute for Justice because we're a nonprofit. And we've had several cases where Christians who were traveling for either mission or charitable purposes with uh, large amounts of cash had that seized on the suspicion that they were somehow involved in illegal activity, but they weren't. They weren't involved in anything illegal. They weren't doing anything wrong. Uh, Nonetheless, they got caught up in this forfeiture system. We had uh, one client who was a, a lady originally from Nigeria. She came to the U.S. over 40 years ago. Uh, was living here as a nurse, working here, and wanted to, as her mission, open up a medical clinic in her home village in Nigeria for women and children who did not have access to medical care. So she saved up her money for many years, and she was flying back to Nigeria. And as she boarded her flight, she was pulled aside by Customs and Border Protection, and they seized over $40,000 that was intended for this medical clinic. And they kept it, for months and months prevented her from from being able to establish this clinic anywhere near the timeframe she wanted to. In another case, we represented a Christian rock band that was on a tour of the United States raising money for orphans in Thailand and for a Christian college that was being established in Burma. And they were making this tour of a number of churches across the United States, and they were raising money mostly in cash and their band manager was stopped in Muskogee, Oklahoma, because he had a broken taillight. And they seized all of the money that the band had raised in over three months of touring, over $53,000, simply because he had a broken taillight and he was in a car with $53,000 in cash. And they thought, well, he must be somehow involved in, uh, in drug dealing. But he wasn't. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He was a volunteer for his church who was helping to manage this, manage this band. On their U.S. charity tour. Now, eventually, because of our representation, we were able to get the money returned for both the band and for Antonia, the lady who was going to Nigeria to start the medical clinic. But most people aren't so fortunate. And if missionaries, uh, orphans, and refugees can be victimized by civil forfeiture, anyone can be victimized by civil forfeiture. That's why it's such a danger.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think most people understand it when there's criminal activity. And that's the intent of this. If a person has has gotten a lot of money by selling drugs or whatever, that's one thing. Uh, I'm curious, the figures that you referenced a while ago with $70 billion, does that include the criminal forfeiture as well as non-criminals? Is it all kind of lumped together? How how do those figures, do you know the discrepancy in the figures?
3: Yeah, so those totals include criminal forfeiture, but we know from the federal reporting on the use of of forfeiture that the vast majority of forfeiture is done at the civil level. With some agencies, it's 96 percent of all forfeitures are done through uh, civil courts uh, and others. It's about 80 percent. But either way, the vast majority of forfeitures are civil in nature. And that means there's a lower burden of proof, The person doesn't have a right to an attorney, and they don't have any of the other rights that a criminal defendant has. There's no requirement that they be charged with a crime or convicted of a crime. And that's a huge problem because we're punishing someone for for committing a crime without actually securing a conviction. And it's important that Congress uh, take action to address this. There's pending legislation called the FAIR Act, H.R. 1525, that would make a number of important reforms to federal forfeiture laws to protect Americans from these predatory practices.
1: Is that the Walberg bill by chance?
3: It, it is, yes. It is a bipartisan okay, okay. bill uh, sponsored by Representative Walberg. It was just passed 26 to 0 out of the House Judiciary Committee with the support of Representative Jim Jordan and we believe it's headed to the fall uh, to to the uh, House floor this fall.
1: Okay, good. Well, I, I knew he had that bill uh, g- going forward, so we will certainly be keeping a pulse on that. I think that's a, it's an extremely important bill. And this is horrifying news to think that the government can come and uh, take these type of funds from people without any warrant, without any due process, without any crime having been committed. Uh, and now they are giving six Billion dollars to private companies to help them do more of the same. It really is just in every way disturbing. Final word for us. What can people do? What can people do if they find themselves in this situation? About 30 seconds.
3: Well, I think the most important thing right now is to call your representative and support the Fair Act, H.R. 1525. Um, There's very little that any individual can do when they get caught in these situations. And that's why we need to end it at a systemic level. And it's up to Congress to pass legislation to protect our rights.
1: Dan Albin with the Institute for Justice. Thank you so much for coming on Washington Watch this evening. Very disturbing topic, but thank you for unfolding it for us. God bless you.
3: Thank you.
1: All right, friends, as we wrap up this edition of Washington Watch, I really am not sure if you got to see the a uh, clip of Randy Weber talking about uh, FRC's 40th anniversary. I hope you did. Uh, Randy's a dear friend. We used to be in a Bible study together. But I want to invite you to come join us in Washington, D.C. on September 15th for, through the 17th for our Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be one awesome experience. You can find out more information and register right now at prayvotestand.org. We look forward to seeing you there. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow on Washington Watch.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom,